0: how to invest it and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 372. It's titled, When Should You Sell an Investment? The ARK Innovation ETF, ARKK, launched in 2014. ARK Invest, the sponsor of the ETF, was founded by Kathy Wood. The ARC Innovation ETF gained 150% in 2020. Yet, It has lost close to 58% since February 2021. It's down 25% year-to-date. If you own the ETF, should you sell? Bitcoin reached an all-time high of $69,000 for one Bitcoin on November 9th, 2021. That was shortly after we published episode 362 on Bitcoin ETFs. Now, this morning, Bitcoin is selling for $36,000 per Bitcoin. It fell as low as $33,000. That's a loss greater than 50%. It's the eighth time since Bitcoin was launched in 2009 that it has fallen more than 50%. And it's the third time since 2018, including last year when Bitcoin fell 52% from April until July. Should you sell Bitcoin? Equity Real Estate Investment Trust gained over 40% last year. One of the mutual funds I own in the REIT space, the Double Line Colony Real Estate Income Fund, DBRX, returned 50% in 2021. Now REITs are down close to 10% year-to-date. Is it time to sell? What about your house? Many of us, our homes appreciated 20% last year. Should we sell those? As part of our due diligence efforts, in researching equity managers, hedge funds, and other investment professionals, we as investment advisors, or when I was an institutional investment advisor, we would ask them about their sell discipline. That phrasing is interesting. We didn't ask them why they sold. We asked them what their sell discipline was, which suggests a thoughtful process for why they would sell one of their underlying investment holdings. Howard Marks is the co-founder and co-chairman of Oaktree Capital Management. They are one of the largest distressed securities managers in the world. He has been writing a regular memo to clients and really for to the world for decades now. His most recent was on selling investments. When should we sell? He pointed out some poor reasons for selling, and those reasons are emotion, We sell assets that have appreciated oftentimes because we're afraid they'll fall in price and we just want to lock in those gains, those profits, because we're afraid they'll go away. The asset will fall and somehow psychologically locking in that gain, capturing that profit, one, it feels great, makes us feel like successful investors, but selling an investment purely to lock in the profit because we think those profits might go away is not a very good reason to sell an investment. Nor is selling an investment because it fell in price a good reason to sell. When assets fall in price, we feel terrible. We feel like failures. And we fear that the investment will fall even more, that our regret will grow. But those are emotional reasons to sell. And we do do that. I've done that because we're human. But there are better reasons to sell. And these themes come out in Marx's memo, and they're also what professional money managers that I interviewed would say for why they sold a particular security as part of their sell discipline, and it's why I sell assets, or at least try to, and not sell purely based on emotion. The first reason is the investment thesis or the objective of having invested in that asset was fulfilled. What we thought would happen, happened, and now there are better opportunities, which is the second reason. We sell an asset because we believe there are other opportunities where we have greater confidence in that thesis. Perhaps the risk-adjusted returns are better. We feel more confident that those returns will be there. The third reason to sell is because we made a mistake. Either what we thought was going to happen didn't happen, and maybe the exact opposite happened, or we didn't really understand the investment the risk of the investment, and I've done that. I've taken a small position in an ETF or closed end fund and realized maybe I didn't understand it as well as I thought. I didn't fully understand the risk. We make mistakes as investors. The trick is to keep the mistakes small, and sometimes that requires selling an investment because we just didn't understand it or we were flat out wrong. Now, just because an investment falls in price isn't a sign of being wrong. It could be a sign of being early. And that's why we need to have an investment thesis, an understanding of the return drivers. And that could be simply because we understand what the cash flow from the investment is, and the drivers of those cash flows will continue into the future. The fourth reason, then, is because we need the money. We sell an investment because we have better uses for the money, perhaps to, to buy another asset, or we need it for our retirement spending. Now, let's consider these four reasons in looking at the examples that I introduced the episode with. The first is Ark Invest. I first covered this ETF and ETF family in April of 2019, plus episode. 247 for Money for the Rest of Us Plus members. I said at the time that investors in ARC ETF need to believe that Kathy Wood and her co managers are able to identify fast growing companies that will do better than what's already priced into the stock the consensus of investors, that they have an informational edge to be able to identify these innovative companies that are going to do much better than other investors think. And by doing better, they'll surprise to the upside and they'll outperform the market. Another reason to have invested in this ETF is there isn't another way to get that type of exposure. ARK ETF is an active strategy. And there perhaps isn't a passive alternative that is structured in the same way as the ARC Innovation ETF. That was in April of 2019. As I mentioned, the ETF gained over 150% in 2020. I returned to the topic of ARC in plus episode 328. By then, the ETF had grown to $23 billion. Back in April 2019, it was $1.7 billion. Now it was 10 times bigger. What's interesting about ARK ETF, it's actively managed, but it's also a transparent ETF. It shares its holdings every day. Everyone can see how it's invested. Also, as an active ETF, it can't close to new investors. It's always open. And so, as it becomes successful, more and more investors are coming in. And this is a fairly concentrated ETF with, with about 45 stock holdings which means that the ETF owns a bigger and bigger percentage of the outstanding stock of its top holdings. It's not adding more and more stocks. It's putting more and more in the stocks it already owns. The question is, would it be able to continue to generate strong performance as it's gotten bigger? That's not easy to do, and I mentioned that in that episode. Now the ETF is down over 50%. Its five-year return is 30% annualized. As an investor in that ETF, as we go through the cell discipline, we need to decide if the investment thesis is still in place, that the ARK Invest team has an informational edge and is able to implement it through the ETF structure, that they are skilled enough to do so. Kathy Wood was an investment manager with Jenison Associates. This is a large cap growth firm that we used for many years at my former advisory firm. They know how to manage big pools of assets in a concentrated way. So they are skilled. The question, can they continue to implement the strategy? Kathy Wood recently said, I would be using this downdraft to increase that allocation to ARC funds because if anything during the last year, and it is quite a year for me to be saying this. If anything, our conviction in how rapidly the world is going to change and how transformative these technologies will be as they converge and feed one another, our conviction in that outlook has increased dramatically. The question is, does everyone already know that? Are are they able to identify those trends, those companies that will do better than what everyone thinks they will do? In Howard Marks' memo, he mentions a conversation with his son, Andrew Marks, who is a venture capitalist. They were discussing under what circumstance Andrew would sell a holding. Andrew said, if I owned a stake in a private company with enormous potential, strong momentum, and great management, I would never sell part of it just because someone offered me a full price. Great compounders are extremely hard to find. So it's usually a mistake to let them go. That would include perhaps stocks that seem pricey or expensive for a time. Howard follows up with Andrew, isn't there any point where you'd begin to sell? And Andrew said, in theory there is, but it largely depends on A, whether the fundamentals are playing out, as I hope. In other words, is the thesis playing out? And B, how this opportunity compares to others that are available? taking into account my high level of comfort with this one. That gets back to the four reasons we looked at. Is the thesis still in place? Are there better opportunities? And then do we make a mistake or do we need the money? Let's consider Bitcoin. I don't own ARK ETF. I own other growth-oriented momentum-type funds, principally the Dreehouse Microcap Growth Fund, which is a mutual fund and closed to new investors and existing investors and has sold off fairly dramatically like the ARK ETF has. I'm not selling that. I sold it once back in, I believe, 2018, not realizing I couldn't get back in. I took some profits. I should have just held it because this is a skilled manager and the thesis hadn't changed. That was a mistake on my part. I own Bitcoin. My thesis is this is a highly liquid digital asset that is scarce that is gaining trust of holders around the world, that it will continue to be a place where holders want to keep their money, to store their wealth. Still, I sold Bitcoin last year, some Bitcoin, because I needed the money. I wanted to take some profits and put it into a house we are remodeling. I have a friend that sold much of his cryptocurrency exposure this past November, because it had become such a large percentage of his net worth that he wanted to direct the money into also purchasing and remodeling a house. That's not to say the thesis has changed, but the needs of the investor has changed and the allocation dynamics have changed. I'll admit there was a psychological benefit of taking profits in Bitcoin and taking out the initial money that I had invested. And then, It's easier just to hold on to the rest of it. I keep Bitcoin in a different mental account than my other assets. This is a speculative asset. I can't value it. I don't know what it's worth. I just believe that the scarcity element and that it's a completely unique digital asset, that it will continue and will be used. But I'm always looking for counter arguments, critiques, why I might be wrong. That's part of investing. Not to be so close-minded that we're not open to criticism and recognizing we could be wrong. Where's our thesis off the mark? Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free I know in our business having the right candidates for the job is critical to keep our business running smoothly now LinkedIn isn't just another job board LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals which makes it the best place to hire it gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates Cash reserves offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. In his memo, Howard Marks wrote, Investing means committing capital to assets based on well-reasoned estimates of their potential and benefiting from the results over the long term. That is so true. It's how I have invested professionally and individually for decades. Looking at a wide variety of asset classes and developing expected returns for them. The time frame I typically use is 10 years. It could be longer. I regularly look at 35 different asset classes and regions and determine their expected return based on their cash flows, if they have them, interest, dividends, the cash flow growth, and what investors are paying for that cash flow relative to its history. It's my best guess, but it's how I come up with reasonable estimates of the potential gain for different assets and then hold them because they will compound over time. Marx discusses market timing and writes, reducing market exposure through ill-conceived selling and thus failing to participate fully in the market's positive long-term trend is a cardinal sin in investing. Notice he did not write reducing market exposure is a cardinal sin of investing. He wrote reducing market exposure through ill conceived selling. Ill conceived means not carefully planned or considered. Ill conceived selling is selling based on emotion, fear, rather than methodically looking at the four points that we mentioned about the investment thesis. Is it still in place? Are there better opportunities? Did we make a mistake or do we need the money? In March 2020, I released episode 291, How to Survive the Coronavirus COVID-19 Shutdown. I mentioned it's okay to reduce exposure to the stock market when there is a great deal of uncertainty, like we saw with the pandemic. The precautionary principle, take preventive action in the face of uncertainty. Especially if we could be ruined by dying from COVID, we sheltered in place, or if markets fell 80%, and that would disrupt our retirement plan. Now, many investors didn't need to sell. Their asset bases were too small. They had decades before they retired. So it's a very individual decision, but it needs to be well considered when reducing asset exposures. And as a professional investor, I have been more than willing to adjust my allocation to different asset classes based on reasonable expectations. But I never get all the way out. It's too risky. You could miss out on the compounding. Consider the model portfolio examples on Money for the Restless Plus that we've been running for over five years now. In the midst of the pandemic, before the central banks stepped in and started buying Bonds, corporate bonds, backstopping money market funds, before of all that, before we knew how bad, how deadly the pandemic was, I reduced risk in my portfolios, we reduced risk in the models, but the overall allocation to stocks and equity REITs ranged from 25 to 50% for the conservative to the aggressive model portfolios. Now we're close to the max at 55% to 80%, depending on the portfolio. It's a different environment, yet markets are definitely selling off. But the point is, we need to scale our exposure to risky assets that over time we benefit from the compounding. But we can still make adjustments as different opportunities arise. Most investors at least rebalance. Rebalancing is a decision to reduce exposure to one asset and reallocate to another asset in a disciplined way. I recently reduced my exposure to equity REITs after the 50% gain in that particular fund I own. Our expected return for equity REITs over the next decade is 5.7%, a range of 2 to 8%. That's based on its dividend yield and that dividend growth over time. But as of the end of December 2021, the dividend yield for equity REITs was at an all-time low of 2.6%. The price to funds from operations, the equivalent of an equity REIT PE, was over 26, higher than average. REITs were selling at a 6% premium relative to the value of the underlying real estate holdings. This was an asset that was no longer cheap like it was back in 2018 when we added equity REITs to the model portfolio examples. I still think it's likely that equity REITs will return 5.7% annualized over the next decade. But they've done double that over the past five years, and I felt comfortable selling because valuations were high. And I believe there are better opportunities elsewhere. But I'm reallocating only 2% of my net worth. I also sold some of my preferred stock exposure. And I'll reinvest it. In my mind, that's not market timing. Market timing is getting all the way out. I'm making allocation decisions, which is what we do as investors. Now, where are we today? The market's down another 3% this morning. The NASDAQ 100, which is primarily bigger cap technology stocks, is down 13% year to date. The S&P 500 index, a measure of large-cap U.S. stocks, is down over 7% year-to-date. There are other areas of the market that are doing better. If we look at global stocks, XUS, us they're down about 4%. Emerging markets are down only 0.8% year-to-date. The value strategies, developed non-U.S. value, emerging markets value are actually positive year-to-date, up around 2%. The market is adjusting to the fact that central banks are going to be less accommodative. The Federal Reserve meets tomorrow. Maybe they'll raise their policy rate. They're suggesting that the first rate hike might be this March. The market, based on how they're pricing out futures contracts for Fed funds rate, the policy rate for the Federal Reserve, are expecting four rate hikes this year. And it's quite possible there'll be another four rate hikes next year, bringing that policy rate up to around 2.5%, which is what we could then yield for cash, money market funds, for example, 30-day treasury notes. It remains to be seen whether the global economy can handle that level of short-term interest rates, perhaps pressure on long-term rates, given the debt levels of the private and public sector around the world. We don't know, but interest rates have risen this year, and asset classes that don't have cash flows, such as growth stocks, many of which don't have earnings or don't pay dividends, they are more susceptible to rising interest rates. There's a bigger hit to their intrinsic value or the value today of their future cash flows. That's how the math works of determining an intrinsic value. We look at expected future cash flows. We discount those cash flows into the present to determine the fair value for the particular security. Bonds work the same way. Bonds with lower yields or bonds that don't have any interest payments, such as zero-coupon bonds, they are more sensitive to rising interest rates and falling rates. The measure is called duration, and lower-yielding bonds and bonds with longer maturities are more sensitive to changes in interest rates. They have a longer duration. We can think of growth stocks or stocks without earnings having very long durations. So they're reacting more falling more as interest rates have increased. Now, there's also a shift to the narrative. There's a risk off. People are worried. So they're selling assets, which always kind of excites me when I see drawdowns because it means there's a lot of investors selling based on emotion. They're panicking. Now, we can still sell assets if it's a well-thought-out plan. And we have a reason like the four reasons that we discussed. But many investors don't do that. They just dump and run because they're afraid. And that creates opportunities for us to step in and take advantage of them. What we're seeing today, though, with the stock market sell-off is normal. If we look at the S&P 500, and this is going back to 1928, this is data from Ned Davis Research, we've seen a dip of 5% or more. It hasn't reached the 10% correction level for the S&P 500. The NASDAQ has. It's gotten close. But on average, the S&P 500, going back to 1928, falls more than 10% once per year. It falls 5% or more about three and a half times per year. That's just normal volatility. But we've gone 451 days without the S&P 500 index falling more than 10%. And when we go for these long periods of time, we just get used to, well, the market always goes up. Well, it doesn't. About every two years, the stock market falls 15% or more. And about every three years, it falls 20% or more. But we've gone a very long time without a correction, both for U.S. stocks as well as for global stocks. Corrections are healthy things. But I am not overly worried, at least yet. I monitor investment conditions. I monitor the temperature of the market. And at least at this point, the risk of a recession is low. We'll see how these things evolve, but don't sell because you're panicked. Do sell because you have well-thought-out reasons to do so. Your investment thesis has changed for the particular asset, or it's been fulfilled. It met the objective. Time to move on. We sell because we have better opportunities. We sell if we just made a mistake. That happens. Or we sell because we need the money for something else. That's how we decide when to sell an asset. And that's episode 372. I'd like to help you become a better investor. Certainly the free podcast helps with that. But have you subscribed to my email newsletter? It's where I share an essay on money investing in the economy each week to that list of thousands of email subscribers. I put a great deal of thought and time into that newsletter and I would love you to be able to read it and learn from it. You can sign up for the Insider's Guide newsletter at moneyfortherestofus.com. Another way I would love to help you become a better investor is by you becoming a member of Money for the Rest of Us Plus. This is the premier investment education platform that's been operating for almost seven years now. Plus membership gives members the tools and resources they need to manage their investment portfolios. Not only can you tap into my more than two decades of investment experience, look at my portfolio trades, but my research is backed by top-tier institutional research partners such as Ned Davis Research, Capital Economics, MSCI, Refinitiv Data Stream. I curate the most important content and lessons to help you make better portfolio decisions you also access a community of over 1,000 members to get their insights. Money for the Rest of Us Plus is a bargain compared to a college credit or subscribing to institutional research services that cost tens of thousands of dollars per year or even hiring a financial advisor. You can learn more at MoneyForTheRestOfUs.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.